Hello, and welcome to another episode of Over Drinkers, the Story Screen Presents podcast where I, Mike Burge, sit down with a guest to talk about a movie over some drinks. And today we have a very special episode, as they always are. I'm joined by uh, Robbie Anderson. Hi. And today we are going to be discussing Robbie's favorite movie of all time. Yeah. We're going to be talking about Wes Anderson's 2009 film, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, We previously talked about this very briefly on an episode a few years ago when we talked about um, Story Screen's favorite movies of all time. We all kind of went around the table and talked about one or two of our favorite movies and why they are so important to us. Um, But we were only given a certain amount of time to kind of talk about it because there was five of us on that podcast. So with this one, it is just your boy, Burge, and your baby, Robbie, talking talking that stop-motion animation classic that uh, really... You know, we'll get into this, but really kind of redefined Wes Anderson and who he is since, in my opinion. And we'll we'll talk more about that uh, before we get started. As always on Overdrinkers, um, we are uh, partaking of a themed beverage. Uh, and in honor of Fantastic Mr. Fox, today me and Robbie are uh, sipping on some hard ciders. Because there's a cider mm, mm, factory. Mm. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. I myself have a uh, a citizens cider. Uh, nice little tall boy can here. Robbie, what you what are you uh, what are you sipping on over there? Uh, I have a naked flock. Has a little goose on it. It's a nice dry cider. I prefer a dry cider uh, personally. That's and good. I also, That's good. To pair with my cider, I have a nice delicious cup of coffee. Because eleven thirty a.m. is a little early for drinking for me, so I have to balance it out. You gotta, you know, you you take one little sip of the cider, you're good to go. It's okay. You're all set. I I am also going to uh, go get my booster shot for COVID. Um, right, so you have to in loop just up a couple hours. So I obviously have to get tanked before I go do that. So I'm taking it easy myself too. Uh, nice. But but you know, it's uh it's good to just uh have a little apple bubble uh while, while we discuss. Yes. Um. So right off the bat, I'll uh, set the stage real quick. Uh, Robbie, this is one of your favorite movies of all time. It is. Uh, If not your favorite film of all time, kind of unequivocally. Um, This is a movie for me that is actually a bit of a blind spot. Uh, I have seen all of Wes Anderson's movies, some of them many times, some of them just a couple times. I recently just saw The French Dispatch, so I've only seen that once. Um, But Fantastic Mr. Fox was a movie that I thought that I had seen. Um, and it's a big Thanksgiving go-to for my partner, Diana and her family. Uh, I remember watching it one year with them at Thanksgiving. Um, and in watching it, uh, last night to prepare for this episode, I realized that I had not seen this whole thing because things were happening that I was like, oh, I have absolutely no memory of this. And I remembered that I actually fell asleep, um, because we watched Fantastic Mr. Fox after eating dinner and we were oh, all sitting wow. on the couch, and I just like kind of zonked out. So this was actually my first time fully watching it. I had definitely seen a lot of the middle. I had never seen the very beginning, like the first 10 minutes, because that's where I was like, I don't remember any of this at all. Uh, first thing I remember is uh, is the scene in the tree uh, jumping into the pool. Um, mm-hmm. 
And uh, as it started getting towards the end, where I thought the end was, there was like a whole other 15, 20 minutes after it. So I got to experience it for the first time. And uh, we're going to talk about it. But Robbie, first off, why did you pick this movie to be your overdrinkers movie? I know it's your favorite movie, but, you know, you've picked other movies in the past. What what really made you go like it's time to it's time to, you know. uh... Well, you put the ball in my court. Uh, you called me yesterday being like, hey, we had an overdrinker scheduled, but the uh, person who was supposed to be on uh, was under the weather, so we need to get someone to fill the spot. And I was like, cool. And you were like, you can pick whatever fucking movie you want to talk about. And I was like, all right. And uh, it's November at, at the time of this recording. It's like almost Thanksgiving week. I think that's next week. Um, and I've been wanting to do a Fantastic Mr. Fox rewatch because it is... You know, I say one of my favorite movies because you know when you're when you're in the business of talking talking flicks, flicking moves, you uh, you know it's it's a more I think your favorite movie can be like a little bit fluid. But Fantastic Mr. Fox, every time I watch it too, and every time like when someone does ask me, it it does ring true in my heart. It's like man, that really is one of my favorite movies. And uh, yeah, so I chose it because like you know it just seemed to be the leaves have not all fallen off the trees yet. It's still very uh, autumn looking outside and i feel like this movie has like big autumn energy big fall energy um and yeah i just love it and um and i'm glad that you know we kind of get to talk about it from the perspective of you kind of seeing it in its completion for the first time too because i'm very curious to hear your thoughts but yeah you know i think one of the things that make it like why i say it's my favorite movie like what like what makes my favorite movie my favorite movie is you know i'm a big uh the, the joke about me is that i love animation that's the big goof around the story screen office. Is that well, I mean, week? it's true. It's a fact. Mm-hmm. And I like to get teased about it, and it's fine. It's good. Yeah, love, it was uh, noted in a publication that everyone it's, read. Yeah, so. and you can't lie on print. That's a fact. No. You can't. Yeah. It's not allowed. Um, I, I do love animation, and I do think the stop motion in this movie is like, there's just not really quite anything like it, especially what they do with lighting is like so like insane. It's, it's literally I could insane. not wrap my head it's around insane. it. It's insane. And then just like everything's so like exquisitely designed because, you know, Wes Anderson movies are always really exquisitely designed and what he does with like utilizing the frame and making every like frame of his, of his movies just kind of seem like organized and perfect. And then him having like really just like complete control with, uh, with something like stop motion, you kind of get to see that you get flexed even further. And another thing that really I love about the movie is that I love its sense of humor. Like, I love that it's like, you know, it's the stop motion animated flick, but it's very dry. It feels very adult. And a lot of the voice performances were recorded out of a booth. They just like recorded them acting, you know? And I think that's like really cool. And I think you can really feel that in the performances of this movie. I don't think there's really quite a movie that feels like this. And Mike, I agree with you that I do think that this was like not quite a turning point in Wes Anderson's career, but like redefined his career in a way. Cause then, cause now there's almost a precedent being set of like, is he going to do another animated one? Cause we got Isle of Dogs and it's so far it's been like since fantastic Mr. Fox, it's been an animated, a live action and animated. And then we just got um, French Dispatch. So it's just like, does he have another one of these in the works? Because I would watch it. Isle of Dogs, I really dig. I don't dig as much as this movie, but I think Isle of Dogs really slaps. I think it's really fun. 
Yeah, it's uh, yeah, and I agree. Like that's kind of what I mean by turning point is kind of like you know before this, uh, Wes Anderson, you know his uh, like Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou and the Darjeeling Limited were both kind of underperformers and weren't really critically well accepted. Um, well accepted like uh when they first came out and like now you know years later now like that has all been you know reevaluated, and everyone's like no like life aquatic is a fantastic film and darjeeling limited is, is just fine like that's that's a good movie but uh you know when you hit uh fantastic mr fox which you know did not make a lot of money but was very well received uh critically and by audiences after that you get moonrise kingdom which was like his biggest movie at the time. And then you got Grand Budapest Hotel, which is uh, inarguably his uh, masterpiece. Um, You know, it's not my favorite one of his, but it is kind of inarguably the culmination of everything that he had been training himself in for the past, like 20 plus years of making movies. And it's kind of just pulled off perfectly. Um, Then you get Isle of Dogs, which, you know, is was lesser received than Grand Budapest, but more or less kind of received in the same line as Moonrise Kingdom. Critically, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't blowing people's tops off, but they were like, it's still pretty cool. It's still good. And, you know, that leads us to the French Dispatch right now, where, you know, that movie is kind of being uh, critically maligned right now. Um, because it is kind of getting to the same thing that Darjeeling Limited was at, where people were kind of getting a little sick of Wes Anderson's shtick. And he redefined that shtick with Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom, kind of perfected it and got it out there. And people were like, oh, this is a little different and new. I'm into it. Okay. Uh, I think people might be getting a little sour on that now. I personally loved The French Dispatch, but... It is a very different type of movie, and that's why I really liked it. But it has a lot of those same kind of, you know, cutesy things that some people kind of just look at on the layer and they don't understand or maybe just aren't really like as fond of his what I termed as uh, more um, esoterically emotional fare. It's 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 he's very good at being able to put in, you know, under the belt emotions and themes in his movies that are so fanciful and visually stimulating that sometimes you might forget exact or or you and you wouldn't be blamed for kind of maybe missing out on contemplating like the deeper ideas that he's talking about he's a simple ideas man he's usually got maybe one or two things that he's trying to talk about but he puts those things in there and never lets them get to the full front of everything and i think that uh fantastic mr fox is the exact same way fantastic mr fox is a movie that you can just watch and you're like cute kind of for kids kind of for adults as all very good animation movies should be you know the the thing about animation it's been said time and time again that animation is uh, is you know it's grown-ups making movies for kids and it's kind of bridging that kind of gap between the two of them and just like it's 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 a way to be able to kind of think back and make grownups feel like kids and also allow something that kids can revisit when they're grownups to feel like a kid again. And I think Fantastic Mr. Fox is a perfect example of that coming from someone who in 2009, you know, was um, 24 years old. So like I didn't grow up with this movie, but now I can see that this is something that would be a lot of fun to revisit in, you know, a kind of warm blanky kind of way and in all of those things that are happening he also is dealing with some very very intense ideas on like 
you know, I don't want to say addiction, but there is like, there is something there mm -hmm. to like, you know what I mean? Like Mr. Fox's whole thing is that he wants people to like him and respect him and think that he's like the greatest, coolest thing in the world. And there's aspects of that all over other characters in this, like especially his son played by Jason Schwartzman, which I think is the best performance in the movie. You know, it's like he's he's dealing with grown up things that you can consider as a grown up watching it. But it also has that perfect thing where that can completely go over your head when you're a kid. And as you get older, those themes start to kind of emerge a little bit more as you watch it and you yourself grow and become more aware of not just the world and how it works, but also how movies work and how they can operate on a subliminal level thematically. And I think that that's very cool. And that's that's how you make a movie that lasts as long as this one has. Yeah, I mean, the movie, like, you know, you don't feel its age it doesn't feel like it came out, you know, came out 2009, right? Or yeah, 2009. That's, you know, it's been a while. That's that 2009 is when I graduated high school. Like, uh, it's been a while. But like, you know, you don't feel its timeliness at all. I do think it's like, I think one of the reasons I even say um it's like one of my favorite movies because it is comfort food i think uh you picking up on on like uh the thematics of addiction is very interesting i think that's there i always interpreted a lot of the movie as being about like uh nature versus nurture and about mm-hmm. like you know and which can also feed into addiction right where it's like you know mr fox is like he's fighting his nature of you know he's like, i'm a wild animal yeah, like that's this a much is what, better. This is, what I'm so, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, right that's now. a much better explanation of what I was kind of touching on. Because I, even I was like, addiction's not the right word, but it's like he is like obsessed and he can't let go, and yeah. he knows that he's wrong, but he keeps doing it. I mean, he's know? a fox that's now a newspaper man. He wants yeah. to be a fox. He wants to get the chickens. Like that's the thing, and it's like him having to suppress his his nature of like what he is to conform to this lifestyle that, you know, he doesn't really want to give up either. And I think that's like, you know, I think those, that's always an interesting place to put characters where they're like kind of between a rock and a hard place. Or it's like, it's not so easy for them to be like, well, I want the thing I really want. Cause it's like, there's the things that they've gained along the way. And to use maybe some, uh, even simpler distilled examples, like, you know, you have someone like Peter Parker and Spider-Man, you know, he's just like, you know, Spider-Man's really tough, but I can't give up Spider-Man because I have to save the people. But I can't give up Peter Parker because, you know, my friends and family are there. I got to do that. And then, like, he struggles with, like, what's the nature? And that's, like, the superhero thing, too. It's, like, what is the nature of these people? Is the nature of these people, like, to, to be the person in the mask or is it to be the, the person in the real life in society? Um, yeah, and I think I, – I feel like this movie deals with that very well. Um, and I, I like the – I like that it's so simple as well. I think you do too. I do mm-hmm. like that. Like Wes Anderson movies, kind of like they don't spin too many plates, right? They spin a lot of characters, but they don't spin a lot of thematics. And I think that, like, yeah, it's and fun, that's you know that needs to lead into one another because there's so many goddamn characters in his movies that you know yeah. if you start, it, it's it's tighter because you know if you think of something like the Royal Tenenbaums, there's like one like specific theme kind of going through that entire thing. And, which is forgiveness. And it's all about forgiveness and who deserves it, who dulls it out, when it's acceptable, how do you get it? Is it even worth it for the person forgiving or the person? Everybody in that movie, their whole things are lined up with that. Can I forgive myself? Can I forgive this person? Can I forgive that person? You know, can I forgive these events? Can I forgive this situation? Like, 
or when will I get forgiveness for what this is? Like it's, and you're able to do that with like, you know, 20 plus characters because everybody is kind of unified into one thing and his style of really just having a known style and which of which Royal Tenenbaums really kind of personified like Rushmore and Bottle Rocket, two of my favorite Wes Anderson movies have similar that they have that Wes Anderson-ness to them, but it's not so much, um, it's not so quirky in those ones. It's almost kind of used as like side strokes and just a little, little, little finesse on the sides. Whereas Royal Tenenbaums is like, you know, it looks like a magazine from like 1978. Like it's, There, there. He, he, he lands on this look that he kind of carries on into Life Aquatic and Darjeeling, and it's it's in Fantastic Mr. Fox and animation, but also stop motion animation, where it really kind of comes together with like, oh, you're perfect for this because you kind of stage your stuff already as if it was almost like um. Like like uh like a test footage for designing stop motion, you know, like yeah. all the different moments, like when he pulls out from houses and you see the whole ship in Life Aquatic and all of this stuff. Like a lot of that stuff is kind of set up in the same way that stop motion is. Yeah, but especially Fantastic- Moonrise Kingdom when you get and, to that, yeah. there's like straight yeah. up like stop motion almost in it. Like, well, and now he's got stop motion. Like he dabbled around with it in Life Aquatic with all like the animals and beasts and stuff in Life Aquatic yeah. are all stop motion. And then he did a full on stop motion movie. And now there are aspects of stop motion in all of his movies. Like that's what he kind of puts into everything. He, he there's stop motion uh in like you said moonrise kingdom there's stop motion in grand budapest hotel obviously isle of dogs is all stop motion there's stop motion and animation and really cool effects that he utilizes in french dispatch as well he obviously very much kind of fell in love with this process of doing it even though it's uh intricate and takes a lot of time but i think that that's kind of his thing that's why it usually takes a while for him to make a movie even if it's not stop motion like he is obsessed with the details and the framing and all of that stuff and he stop motion animation is perfect for that because you have this very frame by frame control that you have to have over everything at all times yeah i mean if you've ever read any of his screenplays like they're they're like, you know, when you're when you're writing your own work, you can kind of break like the screenwriting rules because you're not really trying to sell it. You're going to make it. But if you read a lot of his scripts, like they go into painful detail about like what's in the room, which is not really a thing you do when you're writing screenplays. You kind of just like kind of write like, you know, you keep the details sparse. You like set the mood and the tone unless there's like something very important to characters interacting with. You don't really mention it. You know, you kind of that's up to like the the set designers, the the director, the production to f- to figure out, you know, uh, if you read his scripts, like he does have a lot of like list by list details of like what's going on in like these settings. Um, I think it's, you know, not to sound cliche, but I do think that Wes Anderson's like aesthetic is like just as much a character in a lot of these movies as like anything else is like, you, I think sometimes you get like um, people who say like, um, the setting is just as much a character, which is like, you know, I think that can be true of a lot of movies, but I do think it's, it's a bit of a cliche at times, but I do think his aesthetic is a character in these movies. Cause a lot of what gets your butt in the seat, um, is to be like, what's like, what like flavor of quirky are we getting in this movie? You know, I think seeing the French dispatch trailers, like I haven't been super hyped on seeing French dispatch just cause it like, it doesn't feel as 
a unique flavor of Wes Anderson as like some of his other fare. And I'm sure getting in there is going to be fun because like for me, it's not like, you know, it could be a lot like his other movies. And I think I'm still going to have fun with it because it's like you don't get a Wes Anderson movie every year. You get it like every few years. So it's like I'm in the mood for it. I'm actually curious to kind of pick your brain about like um, I feel like we're in a weird place with a lot of directors who you know have been lucky enough to have pretty like long filmographies at this point um but i feel like audiences and even like you know not even just general audiences but even people who like orbit in our space are getting a little fatigued on like um like like i was thinking like you you talking about the critical reception to french dispatch has me thinking a lot about like last night in soho or even like maybe some people talking about uh beta mail which is like not quite the same exact example because um uh, beta Jim test, Cummings right. isn't beta test. I'm sorry because uh-huh. uh, Jim Cummings is like still fairly new to the scene at this point. He only has three flicks, but like you know, or even like a, a Tarantino, and like I feel like you know, it, it's almost this like you'll live long enough not to see yourself become the villain, but to see people just get fucking bored with you, even though you're really mm-hmm. good at your job. Even like you know, I I saw last night in Soho, and I didn't like dig it super hard but like i really like you know you you cannot deny the craft of that movie mm-hmm. you know the movie looks amazing it sounds amazing you know it, it's more of a story perspective it kind of lost me but like i do think it's interesting even like wes anderson we're getting to this point now where it's like people are like you know it's, oh, it's another wes anderson movie and it's just like yeah i mean but like what is that like is that not cool but like i don't know i haven't seen french dispatch so i can't comment on that but mm-hmm. you know i was wondering what you think about like do you notice that phenomenon as well? Is that like a thing that like kind of happens to a lot of these directors, like an Edgar Wright or a Wes Anderson or? Yeah. I mean, I think that I always say like one of the best, uh, some of the best like uh, musicians are the ones that are able to kind of change with the times, not, not only like what's expected of them, but just to kind of reinvigorate and move up because you're always going to have those first couple albums that you have that have those things. And it's always notorious that, you know, uh, like the junior album is always the hardest one to do because, you know, you break out with your first one and people really like it, you know, the, using a specific example for this it doesn't work like this all the time, but, and then you have stuff left over from the development of that, that kind of helps fill out a sophomore album, but a junior album is where you pretty much more or less often are kind of coming up with all brand new things based off of the reception that you've been getting from whatever fan base you have. And you have to kind of zig and zag and do a little bit of what everybody expects, but also maybe introduce something a little newer. And that's where you get yeah. some of the best junior albums. And that's where you get some of the best bands and musicians and film filmmakers are the same way whether they're directors or even like actors and screenwriters and editors and composers like you can't really stay in the same thing for too long because audiences will start to get tired of it you'll always like broad audiences will you'll always have those people who are fans of tarantino for the tarantino isms that he has and they want that stuff and they expect it you look at something like once upon a time in hollywood or I'm so sorry, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, um, where Tarantino is doing a lot of the stuff that he's done in the past that people like, but he has also taken out a lot of the stuff that he's really well known for, which is particularly the violence. And he saves all of that up until the very end, where it just becomes this kind of release in this sensation of, you thought one thing was going to happen in two different ways. You thought that you were going to get another 
Tarantino movie that would have shades of violence, but you didn't. And now you've been watching this movie for two hours and 15 minutes and you're like, he's not doing the violent thing. But oh, here yeah. comes the violent thing now and I know what that is based off of realistic events. But then he pulls the rug out from under you, gets even more violent than he's probably ever gotten and turns it on you. And I think that that's what an exciting filmmaker does. And Wes Anderson is no different. Uh, you know, the Fantastic Mr. Fox and Moonrise Kingdom are ex- are aggressively different from anything yeah. else he's ever done. And French Dispatch, I think, is also very, very different from anything he's ever done. His mannerisms and quirks are still in there. You're always going to have people, especially critics, both professional and people who fancy themselves movie lovers who like to talk about movies, uh, expressing fatigue on things. And what that, to me, really is, is that one person ideolo- like their ideologies have changed based on what else they've consumed since the last thing they've seen of this person and it's not always true you can get fucking sick and tired of wes anderson's shtick that's absolutely fine and i'm not going to tell you to not see his movies but you should understand that you know if you're not if you weren't vibing on french dispatch Odds are you're probably not going to be vibing too hard on the next Wes Anderson one. And it's maybe responsible as a critic to go into that with that expectation to understand that maybe this really isn't for you anymore because people change and filmmakers change. But filmmaking is at the end of the day, the production of a product in some way. And you have to hit certain things that people kind of expect. Last Night in Soho is a perfect example of like, you know, I've said it where I'm like, you could watch Last Night in Soho and not know it's an Edgar Wright movie and you'd never guess. You'd be like, that's a really good movie. and then, But then someone will point out to you, oh, did you know Edgar Wright did that? And you go, oh, that makes sense. Because then you would connect the tissues. Because yeah. I think Edgar Wright is really trying to do something very different from what he's been known to do. I've heard critics talk about how, like, he's never directed a horror movie before. So it's it seems like maybe he doesn't have a grasp on how to do that. And I'm like, what the f- fuck are you talking about yeah it's not the man that's directed not in that movie the man directed <laughs> three horror movies mm. it, they, they, like hot fuzz Shaun of the dead and at world's end are horror movies they have aspects of other things comedy and uh you know crime thriller like detective like and you know sci-fi and stuff but they are shot like horror movies yeah and well you have to have an understanding of the genre you're spoofing to spoof it right exactly so he understands yeah. how horror works i yeah. think i think you know with like baby driver which like i think hit harder i think even like you know scott pilgrim baby driver and last night in soho like you know you see scott pilgrim you see him more of like utilizing his strength dial to 11 i feel like Baby Driver, I think, is the beginning of him really trying to, like, evolve and become something new and, like, veer, you know, take, veer, drift veer, into drift a different... Into, yeah. <laughs> and then Last Night in Soho, I think, is, again, him trying to do something new and something different. And, like, I think you have to, like, applaud him for not retreading the same shtick, for not trying to do the same thing. And I think... I think it's interesting the way that movie was received, but you know, I kind of get I for me, for me as someone who was not super into last night in Soho, it was just like, yeah, I was just bummed because like the story wasn't really there for me. And like, I, I didn't, I didn't like, I didn't love its narrative, but I was so into like its world and aesthetics. I was, I mean, it's world is tied to its narrative, but I was really into like its aesthetics and its vibe. That movie, it has, has a fucking vibe to it that I really like. 
but I almost, you know, I, I just am curious about like kind of where some of these directors' heads are at with like, you know, are they just like, well, we got to make another movie, we got to pump out another thing, or is it like this is the thing that they're super in love with? Like mm-hmm. this is the next like narrative that they're super in love with, you know? Like with Tarantino, it feels like once upon a t- once upon a time in Hollywood was mm-hmm. like um like it re- it truly feels like an evolution and like and it and it feels like you know him I always I I always talk about that movie of like it's him showing restraint which is like you don't really see him do that in his movies yeah, like yeah. that's not a thing that he does and that's it's like him really growing cool. up exactly and then like you know you see a director like uh sweet sweet Denis Villeneuve mm. and his career is super interesting too cuz it's like he's always had like really good artistic fairs that like hit well with general audiences for the most part and then now he's like now he's adapting like really big ips and it's just like cool like when does he when does he go back to doing his own movies but the thing is like blade runner and dune and i think arrivals uh technically adaptation as well but like you know Mm -hmm. blade runner and dune are you know huge ips but they feel more him than like yeah that's just the, as that's the thing that too, makes you know? him so like, special. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's so what you need when you're adapting big IPs is that you need someone who it doesn't necessarily have to be a name where it's like, this is Tarantino's Star Trek. You need someone yeah. who can come in there and, and be a strong enough filmmaker and a passionate, passionate enough artist who can put their stamp on something when people don't even know what that stamp is. Most people that are going to see Dune do not know that this is the guy that made Blade Runner and Arrival. They do not know. No. They have no idea who Denis Villeneuve is, but they're going to because now it's like from the director of Dune, you know, so it's, we're getting there. Yeah. And he's still very much, you know, he's been around for a very long time, but he's still very much in the infancy of his career and just getting started. And Wes Anderson is the opposite of that. Wes Anderson is someone who is like right in the middle. You know, it's yeah. And I I applaud him for changing things. French Dispatch, again, is very different from a lot of his other movies. A lot of his mannerisms are still there. And those mannerisms are the things that make a Wes Anderson movie a Wes Anderson movie. And I would like to see them. Um, I think yeah. that Grand Budapest Hotel is like one of like, uh, surprisingly, like, you know, go back and watch it if you disagree, um, is one of like the least Andersonism movies of his career even though a lot of his stuff is still in there and in memory you might still have you know the framing and you know the the symmetry of it all and the goofy dialogue and like the 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 bright colors and costumes and stuff like all that is there but it's all played um in this way that i think is so impressive and again which is what makes it i think one of his most you know well received and well regarded movies um and bringing it back to fantastic mr fox like yeah i Stop motion animation, like, you know, like right around the same time you got like Coraline came out and, you know, that's another stop motion movie that is just like, it's for kids, but it's also for adults. And it's, you know, it's like a, like those guys know what the fuck they're doing with stop motion and they've been doing it for a long time. And it's crazy that Wes Anderson is able to kind of get in here and be able to hold down. I don't, I, I feel like it's an obvious thing. But I don't think that he gets enough credit for it. And maybe I'm wrong and I'm just talking to the wrong people, reading the wrong things. It is insane how well he is able to copy paste his mannerisms, techniques, and noted styles 
onto stop motion seemingly effortlessly. Yeah. And how he's able to kind of honestly make some of his most cinematic looking shots through stop motion. The waterfall scene is fucking jaw dropping. It's, it's like as soon as they walk in front of that waterfall, you're just like, what the fuck is going on? How are they doing How this? are they fucking doing how this? How are they doing this? How they do how they replicate natural light on fur? It's like how it's wild are you doing this? it's wild it's now again it could be something as simple as like a copy paste of like you know an an ai light reflective kind of source off of different types of material these things exist um and yeah, they for sure existed post, back then exactly you know? yeah. but there's something about like the that's why stop motion to me is just so much more immersive and captivating than animation which you know like like traditional animation or CGI, it's like, you know, you have kind of control over everything that you're doing as long as you have enough time and money and talent behind it. You can pretty much pull off anything. With stop motion, you are kind of dealing, yeah, yeah, a tangible thing Mm -hmm. that needs to be shot, lit, moved, framed, put into focus and all of that stuff correctly in order to be able to make it happen. And that's where you get some big strengths from somebody who's used to making live action film, uh, particularly on a tight budget, and now yeah. is kind of given the free reins to kind of do something that's a little bit bigger than anything that they've ever done. And it's just, um, it's mesmerizing. Uh, like that's, that's the thing is like, you can kind of talk all day about the themes and the vibes and the feel of this thing, which are all exquisite, but you can also just really just be enveloped by how all this stuff works. Cause there's so much going on. There's so many sets. There's so many different types yeah. of character designs from all the different animals to all the different types of humans who all look a little bit different. The voice cast in this thing is out of control. Awesome. Amazing. It's maybe Willem Dafoe's best performance ever. <laughs> it is, it maybe. is an maybe. absolute fucking treat. Uh, to, like I want, I want the pizza cider. Your yeah. wife was the town Todd back in the day. The town Todd? <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's uh, it, And that's the other thing, too. We haven't even talked about how funny the thing is. It's Hilarious. fucking yeah. funny. Like, I don't really laugh out loud at movies often, comedies in particular. Like, I find them funny. It really takes a certain level of something to really make me go, bah! Uh, in movie theaters, I'm very different. Like when there's a lot of people around, I kind of, I there. get a little bit yeah. more in the energy of it and I'll laugh out loud at something that I think is really funny or I'll woot at something that I think is really cool. When it's just me, like I don't, I don't really laugh out loud, even though I think that it's funny. And that's an issue sometimes when I'm watching something with someone, especially when they're sharing something with me that they like, and I'm not laughing out loud. And they're like, are you liking this? And I'm like, oh no, I'm absolutely loving this. This is it's hitting me just right. I'm I'm breathing it in. But yep. this movie got me to laugh out loud like three or four times throughout the whole thing. Like actually guttural. So like, yeah, it's that thing. It's like when I laugh it, like no to anybody, like it means something like I'm not just yeah. putting it on or anything like that. Like it, you it, it's it's not just coming from the throat. It has to come all the way from the gut and make itself all the way up. So. When something yeah. gets that out of me, I'm just like, this is something really special because that doesn't happen often. And it's not something I have control over. It's just like, that was really funny. That was really well done. Everything about that was fantastic. Baha! You know? Baha. Baha. Yeah, the, the movie the movie really is it's super funny. And, and it's like so funny in like subtle ways that like just translates so well to stop motion. 
Uh, I think going back to like, you know, some of the things that they pull off in this movie where I'm like, this is insane. I can't believe they're doing that. It's like, it's a lot of the subtle things. Like there's the scene where they're, um, it's the campfire and the guys like playing the song, like the human guys playing the song and yep. the way he's like dancing and moving. I'm like, I like just literally have no fucking idea how they did this. Yeah. Like I have no, I, I know how stop motion works. I've made stop motion stuff before. I have no fucking idea how they, how they do this. <laughs> like it is crazy. Like the way this dude moves, it's like so fluid and natural and perfect. It's, it's insane. Um, highly impressive yeah, movie. Like it's just, uh, yeah. This movie it's, will never look bad either. Like it will never. I don't think this movie's ever going to age. I don't like, think so. No. Look bad because like, it just like it. It's the same thing with Who Framed Roger Rabbit, my favorite movie of all time. Yeah. Which I, or even I kind like, of. Uh, I was gonna say, or even like Fantasia or something like that. You know, sure. It's just like how, like, what will ever make it look bad? Like nothing, you know. Yeah, Tom Cruise's yeah, favorite Rabbit. movie of all time. Um, yeah. yeah, it's like Who Framed Roger Rabbit. I feel the same way. Where I'm just like, you know. Like, you know, I can be a movie snob in some ways. Like, I can talk hoity-toity about a bunch of stuff and, you know, know, like Halloween. And I can talk about, even though that's a very well-known movie, I can talk about what makes it so uh, artistic. And, like, it's an art house independent movie that just kind of got claimed as this big phenomenal thing. And, you know, and then you can go into stuff like Vertigo and like Titanic too, like, like a well-known movies, but like Titanic is like a fucking ripper. Like that is like one of the greatest movies in arguably ever fucking made. It's, it's easy to be like, that's one of my favorite movies. Yeah. It's very easy. Yeah, no one who would frame Ra- you. And yeah. who frame Roger Rabbit just feels like such a, with no disrespect because it is not, but to outside parties, it seems like I tell people that at the theater and they're like, Oh, you own a movie theater and you're the editor on a on a movie criticism site and you're a movie critic and your favorite movie is Who Framed Roger Rabbit that's interesting I wouldn't have expected that and I'm just like well the thing is is like I grew up with it one so I have that it's my favorite movie yeah. but I also think that it's one of the most well-made movies of all time because that thing was made like that thing was made practically fucking 40 years ago at this point and it looks amazing it was one of the yeah. first things to ever do what it was doing on that scale and it's still like, it's like Jurassic Park. It's like, we've been doing CGI live action mixes for fucking years now, for 30 years. And you can still look back to Jurassic Park and go, that's the fucking shit right there. Look at that fucking thing. It looks yeah. fucking great. And I think with Fantastic Mr. Fox, it's got a lot of life on it for that. Because it's like, it looks amazing. It's about shit. And it's entertaining and funny. You know, I'd seen trailers of this clips. I'd seen probably about half the movie, but it wasn't until I watched the whole movie from start to finish, which is sometimes this was what happens. You need that where I was just like floored by how great it is from start to finish. There are no moments that are better than others in sense of like, well, they really put the time into this. So they really put the time into that. There's effects that are impressive because they switch and change things up from time to time. And it's just, you know, it's you've just got this level of inclusion where you're like, I understand it's stop motion. So when they start doing things like, you know, like uh, getting electrocuted and like the, the zaps, like as they're going up the yeah. the stairs or the amazing, like with the lights kind of flickering on and off. And oh, you're just seeing them in poses. With, uh, and that's yeah. how you get this kind of violent fight sequence. That's OK. Like you're just like, I understand that they're cheating right now, but it looks fucking cool. You know, yeah. like in that fight scene, which lasts probably about maybe 12 seconds, they probably saved themselves two months of animation by coming up with something that was easier and looked cooler. 
Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that's like, you know, that's really when like, you know, it almost seems redundant because it's like, you know, art is so prevalent in this entire thing. But it's like, you know, art and design really achieving something, you know, or like or like when aesthetic can really like a creative decision can really like overcome any obstacle, you know, like creative problem solving, which is like all production is is just like having creative solutions to like practical problems in the thing that you're making. Um yeah, dude, I'm glad you dug this movie. Uh, it's a good movie. I, I, it's a good movie. It's it's funny that, like, you know, I say this is my favorite movie, and then you have Roger Rabbit being, like, one of your favorites. And I think it's just something where it's, like... It's because we're not full of shit, man. That's all this. We're not full of shit. Well, it's, yeah. like, also because it's, like, you know, the movies that, like, are whimsy. And, like, you know, Roger Rabbit's a noir, so that kind of makes sense that it's, like, something whimsical yes. that's housed and already something that you like. That you I know, really so it's, like. like yeah. Elevating it, you know, almost, like... Like, you know, so the, almost like what Brick has done later or like other movies that kind of riff on noir. And then like for me and Fantastic Mr. Fox, like I think it's just like it's like, yeah, I love the animation. It's like, you know, and I love stop motion, but that's not really the things I even think about when watching the movie. Like I think about like the character relationships, the nature versus nurture argument happening within it. I think about the humor and I think about it's just like, you know, this kind of like really small story about a guy who is just trying to wrestle with what he wants. And like, that's what I always see in the movie, you know, like that's always, yeah. that's always what kind of rings true with me. Um, and then all the other stuff really helps to make it uh, kick ass and easy to pitch to other people. Who's uh who's your favorite character? Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah. I love that dude, man. I love yeah. him. Yeah. I'm kind of on the fence uh, with, um, you said you liked Ash a lot, right? I like Ash a lot, but honestly, <laughs> We don't get a lot of them, but I think, I think Rat, I think Willem Dafoe as Rat good, is man. like, it's, yeah. he's a scene stealer. Like he just shows up. I just like the jokes that they've made, the dialogue, the choices that Willem Dafoe is making, you know, the humor, the pathos, like when he takes yeah. the cider at the end, what does he call it? He's like liquid gold. <laughs> Liquid gold, but they give him. It's just like dirt mud because he's dying. He's yeah, like, it's exactly. It's, it's just like that's so fucking good, man. Good. It's just, good. It's good shit. It's so good. Um, um I also I really like Christopherson too. Uh, he's a really fun character. But yeah, no, I mean Ash is is great. And I, I think Ash is really fun too because he has like a really like easy to follow like arc in the movie, or maybe not easy. He has an arc, you know. Like not all the characters have arcs in this movie. Like outside of Mister Fox. Um, another one is uh, Helen McCrory is in this very briefly. She plays uh, Mrs. Bean, um, who has a great gag with the glasses and stuff like that, which is one of the things that got a big laugh out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, if you remember when, because she is like, she's like, she can't see all that well. And that's a joke that's played up earlier on. And then when she comes in, they're just standing on the shelf and like the gates open and she oh. just kind of sits down and walks over. <laughs> yes. You don't know what she's doing. And then all of a sudden she shows up with the glasses and like a cleaver and a knife. And you're like, ah, it's, oh, it's very no. funny. Helen McCrory yeah. is like one of my favorite uh, actors. Currently she passed away earlier this year. Um, uh, after a very, very, very long fight with uh cancer if uh, memory serves me correctly um yes she passed away in april uh she plays um an amazing character on peaky blinders one of my favorite shows to watch uh, everybody should check that out don't listen to what anybody says watch the first season if you're not absolutely sold on it then stop it's six episodes go for it um, but it was interesting because she popped up in this and the night before uh, i was watching skyfall 
for our Bond podcast that's coming up, and she is in Skyfall as well as a small part. She's like on the judge, the judge's like kind of tribunal. Oh, I remember uh, that. Yeah, yeah, like um, questioning M and everything. So it was really weird that she like popped up twice, and I just kept being reminded of her. Um, very excited to to watch more stuff with her too. I gotta dive into that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anything else yeah. on Fantastic Mr. Fox, my friend? Uh, no, nah, man. I mean, you know, second time we've talked about it on radio. Excited to talk about hey, whatever the next time arises. But yeah, I'm glad we got to over drinker on it. It really is one of my favorite flicks. I feel like I could talk about it forever and ever. Um, but I'm out of stuff to say right now. Oh, no, no sweat. Uh, thank <laughs> you for offering it up uh it was like really good for me to like kind of watch it and start to realize i was like all right i'll watch it again so i know what's going on and then it got really exciting like five minutes in i was like "Ooh, i don't remember this part and i don't think i remember how this ends so it was kind of exciting like getting to watch uh it's not it's not often you get to watch like a really really great movie that a lot of people that you know love that that i that i haven't seen like it's it doesn't happen yeah. often. There's a lot of movies I haven't seen, but I, I've usually been pretty good on hitting the big ones. You don't um, always get a you don't always get a kaboom out there, you know. Yeah, every now and then you're gonna get a kaboom. <laughs> you yeah. get a kaboom. <laughs> Kabooms are out there. Kabooms are out there. Um. All right. Well, then, thank you so much for joining me, Robert. I look forward of to the course, next uh, over drinkers that we can do together. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know what the last one we did was together. It wasn't RoboCop. We had one in between. Oh, it was uh, Chasing Amy. Oh, boy. No yeah. wonder you Ooh, haven't yeah. come back. No, I would, <laughs> I'm still recovering, I think, our, from Our episode of Chasing one. Amy, where our overdrinkers theme was every... We had a timer set for 10 minutes, and uh. every 10 minutes we would take a shot of American whiskey. Um, yeah. And I think the episode was about an hour and a half, so... By the end of that, we are just kind of talking about how being gay is cool, and that luckily, luckily, we cracked the code on how it's okay to be gay. Luckily it's okay to be gay, and uh, you know, <laughs> Ben Affleck's a cutie pie, and that Kevin Smith has never said or done anything wrong ever, ever, so, yeah. ever. Yeah, I would say go listen to that episode, but I uh, don't want you to. So deal with that information. You can do it. You, you, can, do it. you can do it. Yeah. Um. All right. Uh, so thank you so much for listening, dear listener. Uh, as you may or may not know, Story Scream Presents is a podcast on which Overdrinkers is a show, but there are many shows, Hot Takes, Cat the Raycast, we've got loads of really awesome stuff all over there. We also have an exclusive content, um, podcast, which also has like articles and stuff on it on our website, storyscreenbeacon.com. If you go to that website, you can find everything that I'm talking about right here on the exclusive content. Robbie and I have uh, journeyed through the filmography of one John Carpenter. Um, we did a, a awesome series called eight bits where we covered eight different, uh, film adaptations of video games. Um, and we are, uh, very soon launching into our podcast called the sweet sweet denny cast where we are going to be talking about the filmography of previously aforementioned denny the Nuve. we're gonna start with his uh four smaller lesser known films and then start getting into his american fair that kind of put him on the scene and getting into the big stuff like blade runner 2049 and dune um and also we have an episode up there um shortly after the posting of this one uh where we're going back uh, to prepare for the sweet sweet denny cast we are going to be talking about the 1984 David Lynch 
film Dune, um, Robbie uh, was so kind to offer uh, the spot on the hot takes for Denis Villeneuve's Dune to me. So that episode is also out there if you want to hear us chatting about that. Um, and on storyscreenbeacon.com, again, loads of awesome articles by everybody over there. We've also got a yeah, YouTube channel, uh, Story Screen, that you can go find. And we've got really, really cool videos up there. And we're going to be adding a lot more coming into the holiday season. Um, so, again, thank you guys so much for listening. Go on over to storyscreenbeacon.com to check all that stuff out. Um, and uh, feel free to leave a comment and anything if you think of any uh, movies that you'd like to be covered on Overdrinkers and stuff like that. We're we're always looking for suggestions. You know, we we make this stuff so that we can have fun doing it, but more so so that you guys can have fun listening. So we take requests all the time. Don't be shy. Toss something down there, and we'll try and figure out a way to get into the schedule sooner rather than later. And that's the episode. Peace. Bye.